Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined, as always, by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? Hey, Dave. I'm good. Not right. as always. Sometimes, you know, we have Chris Osgood come in, and and le- I really like what Chris did, man. I, I, had, I was at an appointment when I was listening to it, and I was just kind of riveted by all of the stuff he was talking about i'm 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 into chris osgood i'm i'm confessing right now that's kind of okay. creepy but i like yeah. it okay yeah no, sorry that's, chris that's fine sorry about those late night texts <laughs> no chris is really good um we should have him on more regularly uh as we get into um figuring out what the hell it is that chip kelly's doing at ucla <sighs> uh yeah we've done you know i I started i didn't start out the week necessarily thinking i'm going to do a series of articles that really try to capture the whole thing but midway through the week i understood that that's what i was doing so i think i kind of finished it off uh with that final story today the real truthful status of chip kelly and the turnaround plan i love Um, that you you previewed that yesterday as the optimistic and we're really talking in relative terms there because you previewed that one as like, this is going to be the optimistic one. And I it's said, basically like, said, hey, suck it up, on, everyone. I said, based <laughs> on your perspective, though, completely. <laughs> I mean, this, that is, uh, don't ruin this for me, Dave. That is like, that is relatively optimistic given 3-11 and and how the teams looked in its first two games. I mean, yeah. I, don't you, not, no, you disagree? No. So, okay. So let's 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 just preview this up front. So we're going to spend this entire show really breaking down what's going on with Chip Kelly, what we think the future is going to hold for Chip Kelly, what the process is, what we where we think it's going, what are the optimistic case scenarios, what are the pessimistic case scenarios. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna provide my my succinct take up front. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't take much solace in in in. Because I understand that people are pitching it, and they under and I understand that people are saying, "Well, you know, it's it's not the Chris Peterson path; it's it's the Mike Leach path." And I think, okay, if we're just going purely results and record, sure, but you have to de- like make yourself completely devoid of context to to equate UCLA's situation with Washington State's. Um, going into the Leach era, they'd won nine games in the previous four years combined. UCLA going into the Chip Kelly era had won 28 games in the four years before, um, recruited at a completely different level. Um, The fundamental difference is Washington State was a fully cratered program. UCLA wasn't. Yeah, I I understand. I completely see that. I see that. And and I just a disclaimer up front. uh, A lot of things that are going to be said in this Podcasts aren't necessarily the opinions of those saying it. I'm just trying to pre- – because I don't want people adding me, you know, saying, Tracy, you're wrong. You, your opinions – I'm just telling – I'm trying – given all that I know, I spent the last week and a half talking to a lot of people who have insight into the program, very good insight, like pretty firsthand kind of stuff. And I'm just passing this along, okay? It's not my opinion necessarily. It's, it's basically taken from – sources who know this. Um, and I agree with what you're saying, but why it's equated to Washington state is, is mostly not even from the time frame of a four or five year turnaround or however long it, I think he started winning in his fourth year. 
I think it's more of the model of he's going to get he's going to recruit under recruited guys. He's going to bring them into his program and develop them in his in his system. So he's recruiting to his system. And to do that, it's going to take a few years to get the right guys in the system developed the way he wants to start seeing, I hate to say it, but start to see that bamboo shoot up, right? right. I mean, I think that's, that's closer to the, why that model is, is being equated. Is it's, I mean, Mike Leach, I think I, I, I don't have it in front of me. I wrote it on the forum today. Did you see his recruiting classes since he's been there? They, you know, in the Pac-12, number nine, number eight, number ten, number twelve. For sure. <laughs> I mean, it, it, by conventional standards, these aren't these aren't great recruits. And I think if you took those recruits that Mike Leach has and you literally made them play and plugged them in their first couple of years when they're at Washington State, Washington State would absolutely suck. He's very dependent on finding his guys, developing them, and collectively in his system, they get, they're get they good by the time they're upperclassmen. I'm not saying this is going to work for Chip Kelly. I'm just saying that's closer to the model than what he's doing than going out and getting all, you know, Sean Ryan's, Chris Murray's, and four-star guys that have immediate impact that he can just plug and play. Hey, that's I like that plug and play. That's pretty mm-hmm. good. Oh, yeah. um, so there's that. You made an excellent point. Isn't it funny? We're just citing each other's points. I, I know. I think it's, this, it's really, really up our own assholes. There are. <laughs> God dang that. That's a visual. That was evocative. Um, <laughs> um, you made. Uh, a very good point. And what was your point about Washington state? Now you just train of thought is off the tracks, Dave. The you one just I just re- made. Yes. That there are completely different situations. Um, one was a completely cratered program. The other is not. And I, I mean, there's some fundamental differences at the before, which is one again, was a fully cratered program by Paul Wolf. The other one oh, no. was, I know what it was. I got to interrupt. Old people have to interrupt before they forget. Yeah, yeah, please, please. He has a system that he does plug and play. Yeah. Mike Leach. That a proven system. A, proven a completely system. proven system. I think this is the biggest distinction. And I don't want to like whittle this all down right now when we're only like a few minutes into this podcast. This should have been where we came at the end. But the big distinction here is that Chip Kelly is attempting an experimental offense. That's the biggest – if he were running the blur and, and it was 3-11, and 11, you'd go, okay, well, first thing you'd say is you got to get the right people. They gotta get, they've got to perfect this thing more. But he's running this offense that we literally don't know could be – the only clue we had was once you had uh, you know, a grad transfer quarterback who was a pretty smart guy who could execute it you know, minimally, it started to work. But that's all we have to go on. It's still a big mystery. Yeah, and I mean, so I'm going back to it because I think I'm trying to reconceptualize the way we were thinking about that offense because with only a year of data, we made a lot of assumptions about what was happening um, in real time. Like, okay, it looked really bad to start, um, and then it got better. And we attributed a lot of that to 
you know, the scheme simplifying, chip learning the players in addition to the personnel, um, kind of getting healthy, getting acclimated, whatever it was, you know, Josh Kelly, Joshua Kelly, um, you know, really showing up in the fourth game, Boss Tagaloa being back. And we saw it as a progression, right? Like we saw it as there was a before that was really bad and then it got steadily better as the season went on. And now through two games, I mean, I know a lot of people want to pin it entirely on Dorian Thompson Robinson, and I don't think that's completely unfair because obviously the quarterback's the most important part of the offense. But look at the other pieces of this too. The offensive line is playing worse than it did last year, and that's not that's not quarterback dependent. Uh, Chris Murray is significantly worse than he was at any point last year. Um, you're not seeing any production from the tight end position, and you're not seeing that position get open the way Caleb Wilson did. So now when I'm thinking about this offense, did we actually see progression or, you know, kind of building on your point, was it just that a fifth-year quarterback kind of got up to speed by about halfway through the year and Joshua Kelly was really good? And was that more what the offense was built around? And if it doesn't have that super experienced trigger man at quarterback and it doesn't have, you know, an Andre James type helping to anchor the offensive line, can this thing go? I just wrote about five notes from what you just said, because there's so right. Everything you just said, there's so much in there. Um, that is, that's, we just have so much to talk about that as like a jumping off point. Um, first off, I appreciate you saying we, because I know that you were far more skeptical of Chip Kelly and that I was, what I was basing my optimism on was that they improved in the second half. And then really it, I went back and watched the USC and, and Stanford games from last year. Dang, that was a good offense. Yeah. Dang, that was a really – it really looked like he had those defenses on their heels, that they didn't know what was coming. So basing it on that and that they returned all these starters, I thought it was pretty reasonable to expect that they would hit the ground at about that level. Maybe, maybe there was a little, you know, shaking the rust off, but not literally two of the worst games under during Chip Kelly, uh, Chip Kelly's era at UCLA were these last two games. So you can see why you would say, well, they should be this good. It's really bizarre that that they regressed, and in trying to understand that. Uh, Chris Osgood provides a lot of insight, I think. he's Chip Kelly's doing different things than he was toward the end of last season, even though he seemed to go back to some of the success, successful stuff during the San Diego State game. But it raises a lot of questions now, like what you said. Do you need an experienced quarterback to run this offense is it not plug and play how many times am i going to say that in no, this? And, but i think that is the distinction if we're looking at yeah. mike leach versus um this potential scheme or for example i mean and not to like make it an even a sideway but if you want to look at the blur where it didn't really matter what quarterback they plugged into that thing it just went um i was really going to be distinct see, from that wouldn't you love to see thompson robinson just running the, the the blur was literally five or six looks. That was about it. And a lot of variations out of it from reads and things. And and then it was running 
it was going fast at a fast tempo. It was getting the ball off like 10 to 12 seconds. Well, I mean, I, it, it I, was fast. I, I, so, I, the, yeah, and I want to make a point about the tempo stuff just before we get too far off of it because I think a lot of people who are really into like tactical football tend to downplay tempo um, because it is kind of a dumb thing, I think, if you're really into the intricacies of plays and all that kind of stuff. But just simply going fast in college football, not the NFL. The NFL is a different game where guys can study so much and they know so much that it's easy to even shut down tempo. But in college, simply going fast confuses a defense, no matter how simple your offense is. I mean, Noel Mazzoni was killing teams with like a four-play offense that was nowhere near as good as the blur. Um, and, and just to even build on that while I'm while we're here, while a lot of it has been made that there are new enforcements of existing rules, like the referee standing over the ball, that don't make it as easy to surprise the defense, that is, to run a to run a play where the defense didn't get in the proper personnel, still running at a high tempo still is gonna disorient a defense. It takes them out of their rhythm. It, it gets them tired. It just doesn't, it disorients them. That's what it does. So, okay, sorry, keep going. But what I, but I guess the, the point there is when we were talking about it last season, going into the season, we were all saying, and I went back and looked at our roundtables from the beginning of the year, and we were all saying we want to see an offense with tempo. Um, and we got poo-pooed a little bit by, you know, some people on the board or throughout. Our who tempo just, got poo-pooed? We got poo-pooed. Um, but the thing about that is it, everyone says, oh, you have to, you know, you have to be good before you can run tempo. And I think it's completely the opposite. I think it's completely back words. I don't think Oregon would have been anywhere near as good if they hadn't run at blur speed. Um, I think to be good with inexperience on your offensive line, with lack of talent at quarterback, I think you need to run fast. Because that's the way you're building an advantage against the defense. If you give the yeah. defense time to set up against an inexperienced quarterback, you're going to end up with a lot more unsuccessful plays than if you just did it at warp speed. Yeah, he's going to make mistakes at warp speed, but he's going to force mistakes on the defense at warp speed as well. And, you know, take advantage of his speed a little bit more. If Osgood is correct and we're looking at that thing, there actually weren't a lot of option plays even in the offense when we were all looking at it and saying, oh, wow, why is Dorian handing off or keeping there? It didn't look, you know, on those GIF replays that he had an option. Um, build more of that in. And I know he's not great at it yet, but again, it's going to, there's going to be more mistakes forced on a defense if you go fast than if you don't. There was, there were a couple of series, not a couple, a number of series last year. And I mean, I just randomly do it watching the game over and over. I'll count how long it takes a play to get off, right? Uh, UCLA wasn't particularly fast, especially when they started using uh, the sideline check offense, obviously. But there were some series when they were getting the ball off 15 to 17 seconds. And to me, that seemed, those series seemed like the, when the offense was in its best groove last season, under specifically under Dorian Thompson-Robinson. There were a couple of series when there was a real tempo to it, and he looked like he was in his comfort zone, as did the offense. Um, maybe I'm just reading into it, but I remember that distinctly. Um, it, there's so many things, too, uh, if, if, that so many fans don't get. 
These kids grow up in shotgun high school offenses. So many of them have not even taken snaps from center. They don't even know how a quarterback, they don't know how to do a proper drop. They don't know how to lift their eyes up and look at the field. There are so many, just not even the quarterback. There's so many, there are running backs, everyone who don't know how they need to learn. And this offense, you better learn how to execute your position in a pro-style offense. And as with everything, it's a cumulative thing of learning. And if you have that whole foundation from high school where you ran a shotgun, pretty simple, simple read offense, and then you're going to this, it gets, it's tough, not just for Dorian Thompson Robinson, but for everyone. So we're back to that same question. Is this going to, first we rewind all the way to, it's an experimental offense that we don't know can work. And two, is it an offense where you literally need a redshirt junior quarterback, you know, to be able to run it effectively, that he understands pro style. I don't think it was, it was particularly, I, I think it wasn't a coincidence that Wilton Spate did well because he's over there. He was over there at Michigan in an offense that, you know, he takes snaps from under center. He know he knew how it wasn't that much of a leap for him. He'd been there for four years. Well, and, so, even, and even about Wilton Spate, he did well enough, but it wasn't yeah. like he had a blow, like a blow you away year. I mean, he had a pretty crappy adjusted yards per attempt, six point six, uh, six touchdowns, six picks, completed just over sixty percent of his passes. One hundred and twenty-six was his rating. I mean, he was serviceable at best. I think what I'm reading though is by the end he was executing the offense well. I mean, I think Denny threw for like 400 yards against Stanford. Um, yeah, you know, and I, there's there's some of that. I, I, and I, I agree, and I, I think we're, we're talking in concert here, which is I think it ran the best with Welton Spate with, you know, hindsight being 2020, looking at the different games. Um, what I'm saying is, was it even, like, was it even really that good because of the quarterback? Um, like it was Joshua Kelly for the most part. Um, and like, even with a fifth year, I guess what I'm saying is even with a fifth year running that passing attack, it wasn't like the passing attack was all that good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what we're all suffering from though. It kind of started out really bad, kind of, you know, just hovered in there. And then the last two games, it really came together, and it could have been a lot of things. It could have been Caleb Wilson. I mean, he, come on, he did some things that really, really enhanced that offense. If it had, if it had ended with a Stanford game with that offense just absolutely sputtering, I don't think we would have come away with as much optimism. It was natural to think that the offense would pick up from there, and it hasn't. Yeah. Um, and then the other, the other interesting thing, experimental offense. If you, ha- if you guys haven't read Chris Osgood's article this week, wow, that's one of the best. Uh, seriously, I'm so happy Chris is writing for the site. Uh, I made that subscription and I turned it into free because I just had to let everyone see it. I mean, it literally 
just talks about how, and, and the gifts, and I say gift, you say gif. The gifts he lent just show how, I mean, Cincinnati, uh, uh, San Diego State just keyed on so many alignments. They just sold out to it. They knew, they knew where the play was going to be run. Now, that's the one thing that has really surprised me about Chip Kelly, that he's so easily scouted. And then another question, is he doing this just to, to try to, uh, is he really thinking he's, he's setting this up for conference play? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call back to the spring game last year um, because there were a lot of people who said, well, he's just trolling with how bad the offense looked in that spring game. And I said, well, he might very well be, but that's very stupid. Um, completely not worth it when you have to actually get in reps because it's a young team learning a new offense. So just wasting time trolling is stupid. Wasting time in these games, setting up stuff that's unsuccessful um, just to eventually have a good play at the end, if that's true, it's stupid. If it's not true, then they're bad. But if it's true, they're stupid. Um... Because that's just you, there's there's no rational reason to play seven dimensional chess in a football season. It's not as if one win at the end can make your season. It's a cumulative game. If you're six and six at the end of the year, but you won you know four of your last six to get there, that still means you had a very average to mediocre season. Um, it's it's. Uh, you know, somebody was making the analogy on a couple of broadcasts ago. They asked me a question like, if this was like a war, you know, is it like, you know, some Sun Tzu art of war where you sacrifice a couple of battles to to win the thing? And, and Well, the deal there is if you win one big battle at the end of a war, you might win that war. If you win one game at the end of a season, but you lost the other 11, you might get fired. And it doesn't matter how good you looked in that last game. Um, no, it's it's stupid. Uh, if if they if they're trying to set things up, it's stupid. You don't do that over the course of games. You do it over the course of one game. If you want to set something up for the second half, show it some way in the first half. But that's you assessing is as stupid. That doesn't mean that Chip Kelly is not doing it. No, no, no. And, but that's what I'm saying is it, yeah. it's either it's either that they are not doing that and they're just unsuccessful, or they're doing it and it's stupid. Right. That's my so, opinion. And so that leads to the other, I keep saying this, but it's true. I mean, is he really playing chess? Is he out ahead of everyone by a couple of moves or has college football passed him by or more accurately have other coaches caught up with him? Is he really still ahead of everyone or is everyone caught up with him and have overtaken him? I think he's got my, my sense of it is he's got smartest guy in the room syndrome. Um, you know, most, most college football coaches, they've got their big egos, um, you know, bordering on megalomania. I mean, it's just, it's the nature of the beast. You don't, you don't get super normal people um, running college athletic programs at any level. Um, and so I think he's got himself convinced and, you know, he's had smoke blown up his butt for 10 years, over a decade, actually, um, about how much of a genius he is. Um, and I don't think the NFL years did anything to dampen that and I think he's trying to show his next level of genius um and I think 
maybe I mean it's you know the 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 hubris thing that you've touched upon, but um, thinking that it was his genius that made him successful at Oregon, just his inherent genius, and not the very specific offense that he ran there. Um, this I, is this is really interesting because a- after talking to a number of people who have some insight into him, they literally, it's funny because he comes off like we're using the word hubris and arrogance. And like what, what you're saying is that he, you know, after so many years of having wind blown up his skirt, he thinks who he is. When you talk to people about him, they say, no, that that's not him. He might come off. You might think that's him. And he comes off arrogantly when, when the media talk to him, but all he really is is just a f- extreme football nerd, and he just wants to tr- try out all – like he's an inventor of all of these things, and he wants – he's going to keep trying to make them work, not for his ego, just because he's analyzed all of this, all this data, and he thinks this is what is the next thing for him to do to, t- to be successful. You know what I'm saying? It's not ego driven as much as like nerd driven. <laughs> yeah. And I guess my point is it, I, I mean, I, I guess what I would say to that is I should say um, it doesn't matter either. It's either it's ego driven or it's football nerd driven. Um, but either way, it's, it's not the same as aligning your priorities with what's best to win now. Um, Cause I think it's, I mean, it should be obvious. I, I think some people would still argue the contrary, but it's obvious to me. UCLA, with a different strategy, probably wasn't going to win the division either last year or this year. Probably wasn't going to win a ton of games, but certainly could have more wins right now, 14 games into a tenure, than they do. Um, As I've written, Dave, that's the biggest surprise to people close to this isn't that what he's been doing it's and they they were anticipating there there wouldn't be a lot of wins that it would be a process but i think everyone has been surprised that it's been this bad everyone from chip kelly to everyone within the program to everyone around the program everyone has been surprised that it would be like this they were probably expecting more like five and seven in the first year and then six and six in the you know, second year, something like that. And if it had been that, and if it was that, I don't think we would be even having this conversation because that's obviously something. Yeah. Um, but the thing is they were three and nine last year and it was, it was a hard three and nine. It wasn't like there were a lot of games that they should have won. Um, they were blown out a ton and it's just, you know, I, I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble getting from there to, um, Chip Kelly genius level coach who's figured out the next big thing. Um, going back to my other point, I, I think it's it's the 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 conclusion I'm slowly coming to, and I haven't yet decided if this is where I am. But the conclusion I'm slowly inching towards is what made Chip Kelly good was the offense he settled on in Oregon. That's what made him good. It wasn't his genius that got him there. It was where he arrived. Um, and it's that offense that is Chip Kelly, the successful college football coach or the successful coach. Um, when he was running tempo with the Eagles was when he was doing his best with the Eagles. Um, it's so if you don't have that, has he been successful at any level? No. 
He has 100% not been successful without that offense. So at this point, can we say he's a football genius, or did he just settle on a really good offense one time for six years? Well, I can say this too. Uh, I know this, that, that there are, let's say Chip Kelly left UCLA mm-hmm. at any time. What I think he would probably do is set up like a, a football think tank. And I literally, from what I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of football people would just say he really has a brilliant football mind. Like within a month, Bill Belichick would be calling him in to go watch their practice or get him in to get him in a meeting room. That that's how he is thought of across across football. I mean, that is what he's considered. So so much of this just doesn't it, – it's all disparate little things that when you try to get a, a through – like a motif, something else doesn't work. Like if, if we literally think Chip Kelly – football's passed him by, it's incongruous with the fact that – I mean I've literally heard this from someone who would know that Bill Belichick – would would consult with him. I, I mean, from what I heard last year during their Super Bowl run, Sean McVay, one of his first go-to phone calls is to Chip Kelly. Yeah, and I think there's an element where um, the the super tactical, like football nerds types, love his like these intricate play designs and stuff. Like there was so much. Like just nerdgasms on Twitter after the after the Cincinnati game, where they're like, "Oh my God, look at these line shifts and you know motions and all this stuff. This is this is incredibly intricate stuff." And UCLA sucked. Like that offense sucked, and the defense wasn't even moving in response to it. Like I think sometimes, and this is you know maybe one of my this is maybe me being a simpleton when it comes to this stuff, but. I think people get obsessed with these things that I don't necessarily that I don't think necessarily correlate with success. Like the things that made Chip Kelly good at Oregon, I never heard anybody, you know, wildly praising his play design except for that fish duck guy. Um but for the most part, it was their tempo. They dictate to a defense how they're going to how they're going to have to respond to them and defenses get tired and make a ton of mistakes. And yeah. then it has a correlating effect on the opposing team's offense because they're forcing the defense to make so many mistakes and they're scoring so many points because they're forcing the defense to make so many mistakes. It forces the offense into predictable situations because, well, if we're behind by 21 really early, we've got to pass the ball a bunch, which makes the defense for Oregon better. Um, that's why Nick Aliotti had the best years of his career specifically when Chip Kelly was running that offense because it had a huge lasting effect on everything and it was dictated to my eye to my like reasonable impression by the fact that they were running tempo and they were a super run heavy offense so what you're saying is Mm -hmm. he he might be one of the best football nerds out there that uh, offensively but the real distinction for him was really that he he was the one who innovated, really innovated tempo in yeah. college football. Yeah. And that without, without tempo, he might be like a B plus 
offensive nerd. And that's the thing is also, uh, you just pointed it out, Bill Belichick and Sean McVay um, reached out to him. Um, what The NFL has a lot more time to learn the intricacies of a lot of different play designs. Um, you know, oh, we're going to do this very specific thing that the guys are going to have to get expert at this week. Um, that's possible in the NFL. I don't think it's as possible at the college level. So I think it's right. interesting that two of the people that we cite, you know, who who reached out to him for advice on things were NFL coaches. I think Chip Kelly. Well, that probably... doesn't necessarily exclude college coaches. That's just the two I had heard. But I, I think there are probably plenty of college coaches that have reached out to him also. Um, I've heard that. I just haven't heard specifics. Sure, sure. I, I just kind of an interesting note, and kind of my theory on the whole thing is this: this stuff would all work better in the NFL. Um, and I don't, I, I think where he's failing, I think it's twofold. I think first, I don't know how well this stuff is going to work at the college level, even when it's called correctly. And also I think he is, um, at the beginning of last year, he did some weird play calling. And I think at the beginning of this year, he's done some weird play calling, um, where it's not, it just looks rusty. He looks, rusty. I think he's, I literally, I, I've brought that up a couple of times. I think he spends the year off and he the off season and I don't think he's I don't think he's up to speed on play calling um in the last the what, what were literally the two best series in those two games <laughs> the first series of both games yeah. and whether those are scripted or not or he he's got a sense of what he's doing the rest didn't have that kind of creativity to it I, I think he's I think that's also an element to it too. We're 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 basically saying there's all these different elements and not being able to pin it down. But but and that's the thing is I don't I don't think there is a really simple answer. Wait, I mean, it yeah. it's only at the very broad level that there's a simple answer, which is, um, I would say right now Chip Kelly's not as good as I thought he'd be. Um, yeah, and you know there's some subsidiary factors to that, but I think that relates to all of them. Uh, the fact that Dorian Thompson-Robinson looks, uh, if not worse than last year, exactly the same, that's got to be pinned at least a little on coaching. Um, I'm not, I, see, that's where – it's so funny because in a lot of ways you and I complement each other while we overall agree. But I, I almost attribute – I attribute the vast majority of it to coaching. If, if you haven't developed your quarterback to the point – where he can execute what you want him to execute, you got to give him things he can execute. You or can't go out don't there. don't play him. Or don't play him. You can't, you can't have him go out there if you have a doubt, like a serious doubt that he can't execute your game plan. I mean, you're just hoping that, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Given what we saw Dorian Thompson-Robinson in spring, I, I would not have said that he could execute this game plan and you know, we can't see him in fall in fall camp. Um, here's, here's the, here's the biggest really overarching worry. Like I wrote in that piece today, he's going to be given the opportunity to make this work. Uh, Casey Wasserman and Troy Aikman are, are the powers that be that they would have to be the ones that say, yeah, uh, you know, we've got to let Chip Kelly go. And they were the two 
drivers of this hire. And you can't blame them for it. We, everyone on earth would have said, oh, you've, UCLA's got to hire Chip Kelly. I mean, there were probably a few naysayers out there, but I think they were just sour grapes. And they, they're right, but they got lucky. <laughs> um, so you've got to – their feeling is they're going to let him – they're going to give him the chance to make this work. Whether – and I'm absolutely confident, 100% confident, confident that's through the 2020 season. And even if there's a mixed result in 2020 – from what I'm hearing, I, I can't think that they'd even fire him after three years. So unless there's something outrageous, unforeseen that we cannot anticipate, he's going to be given time to make it work. My biggest worry here and the biggest irony is that he ultimately fails. Let's say he fails in four years. He can't get this jump started. They all get together and they all say, yep, somehow it's just not working. And, he, you know, they all agree that Chip Kelly's going to be fired. What does that do? You know, the national, the national perception of UCLA is never accurate from the media standpoint to coaches standpoint. I mean, don't you think most people would come? I mean, how many times would we hear ESPN say, UCLA is such a bad place to coach. You couldn't even win with Chip Kelly. You know we would hear that. It would echo in our ears. Yeah, it's we would the hear that so often. And, and already you're hearing it. I mean, I was hearing that before he was like before he'd even coached a game, where it was like that was the precedent. It was or that was the preceding comment. If Chip Kelly can't do it, that job's just cursed. Um, so where the one last thing to finish off this idea. Will, how will that damage UCLA's ability to hire someone else, let's say, in four years? Will it? I mean, they have so much they can offer someone now with the facilities and the resources. And it would take you to find someone like, like Mick Cronin. Uh, Mick Cronin was a guy who wanted to be at UCLA. He, he recognized the value of, of what it was and, you know, just tuned out all of that other stuff when people were saying, you know, it's the programs, the brand is just beaten down and you can't win there anymore. There's so many problems. He realized that that's not true. You would need to find a coach who realizes that's not true. Yeah. I think if, so the next hire, yeah, I think realistically they're not going to get the top name on the free agent market, but I also don't think they should prioritize that. Um, they never should. The big splash thing never works. Yeah, never take somebody off the trash heap. Um, even if they've been good before, just don't do it. Um, what I would probably say is the next hire, um, when they do it, draw from the ranks of AAC, uh, Mountain West, something like that, where it's a step-up job where they're going to be fully and completely engaged in it. Um, hungry driven yeah because next now, level for them I, to win i don't want to like criticize chip kelly's drive because by all accounts he works hard and he's just i i don't know how smart he's working um i don't know if it's if he's mission aligned with especially fans on um what he should be working on but he's certainly working um jim mora towards the end you know fell apart from a uh, commitment to the job standpoint and 
commitment to all aspects of the job and also his relationship with UCLA. And he was always trying to, you know, look at the NFL and all that kind of stuff. I think you can't have that. You need somebody who's going to be engaged 100% with the job, who doesn't bring a lot of that baggage to the game, which I think you're going to end up with if you've got, you know, Chip Kelly. He's been fired twice. And I think, you know, that sort of rejection, that can have an effect on somebody. Um, Jim Morag was fired, you know, from a job because he was talking about another job. It was really weird and dramatic. And, you know, it's a coach. It's a, what, what we're saying is it's a coach that put it all together. He's driven to win at UCLA. You have to be just hungry to win at UCLA. And yeah, that, I don't know if that, I, I mean, Mora was in his first three years. I don't, he wasn't for a number of circumstances in his last three. Um, so that's why I was against the John Calipari hire. I mean, I could have just seen that guy with a house out in Malibu, you know, spending more time out on his balcony and at Nobu than he would have been on campus coaching. Which I respect. It's how I would behave in that job. <laughs> But that's we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. That's if Chip Kelly fails to turn this around, and that's still. I mean, we can't say that that's a likelihood. We we it is all a mystery at this point. Um, I know you're a little bit more pessimistic. That <laughs> I'm say. I'm completely <laughs> I'm uncertain. I mean, when I saw after last season, and then the way they finished specifically last season with those last two games return. I thought, and you have to admit, Dave, you also thought that they would improve on last season. I predicted nine and four, Tracy. Shut up. I didn't want to bring that up. I didn't want to embarrass you for that. No, no. I don't get embarrassed by things. I've been wrong so many times. Embarrassed wasn't the right word. No, no, no. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't feel any opinion shame. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. That which both of us would have a lot of. <laughs> we would have a lot of issues if we felt any real shame for the opinions we've had over the years. Well, our business is to have opinions, so yeah. it's not fair. I mean, we're we're with shooting facts, at a pretty with good the clip. facts at the time. Did you have a good take? That's really all you can do. And sometimes yeah. even that's not true. But I think, given the facts, I mean, again, it was a small sample. Maybe we could have been a little bit more conservative in the prediction. I was kind of having fun with it by the end. But still, yeah. I mean, I was thinking this team was going to be at minimum a bowl team. And for it for it to be so clearly not, like, there's absolutely no chance in my mind that this team goes 6-6 six and six this year. I think the absolute max for this year is probably 4-8 and eight, if I'm being really optimistic. Um, that's, that's unfathomable to preseason me. Like, to preseason me, that's like, what? How did that even happen? Given the way the offense looked at the end of the year, how did that even happen? And then four, let's say it's four and eight. What kind of, what kind of indications are there that it will get to eight and four in 2020? Obviously there's an easier schedule, but, but even beyond that easy schedule, it has to be working (laughs) to get to that point. I mean, if it's not working and it's the kind of team we've seen in the last two games, I don't care what that damn schedule is. They're not going to win 
they're not going to win. They're not going to go seven. They wouldn't go seven and five. I used to think I could see the ramp up. Now I have to admit, after these two games, I, I'm not. I'm very up in the air. Not only about the rest of the season, but next season, despite the easier schedule. Yeah, and it is easier, but also there's a couple. I mean, we're, we're making some assumptions about the ease of it, and we if, are. We're it, absolutely. And if you yeah. look at it, I mean, at Hawaii. We've just seen two Pac-12 teams who are about par with UCLA right now lose to Hawaii in Hawaii. I watched I watched Hawaii Arizona. I wasn't not necessarily I was not necessarily not impressed. They move the ball. I mean that offense is going to cause some trouble and if UCLA doesn't get look, we can have another entire podcast about the defensive issues some other time. Um, but if UCLA doesn't figure out what it's doing schematically on defense, um, by that point, if they don't figure out a pass rush, they're going to get torn up by that Hawaii offense. At San Diego State, a team they just lost to. And if this team, let's say it, it is incrementally better, but it takes, it takes the non-conference to get it moving again, and it's at San Diego. I mean, you can't say that's a win. No, they just lost by nine at home. I mean, of at course not. A, at ASU. With Jaden Daniels, well, I'm going to throw one out better. there. I'm going to throw one out there at Oregon State, at Colorado, at Cal. Those teams that the only team <laughs> a lot on that better. schedule who right now looks worse. The only two teams on that schedule right now who look worse than UCLA are Oregon State, which will now be a road game, and then what's the other one? New Mexico State is that one of the non-conference? Yeah, that's the opener. Those are the only two teams that look worse right now than UCLA. So yeah. we're talking a lot of improvement and some other teams getting worse for UCLA to get to eight and four. And the way, the way they finish that, I mean, we're saying it's an easier schedule, but only because there isn't, there aren't the non-conference looks easier than it has been the last two years, but the PAC 12 schedule. Yeah. You don't get Washington, Oregon, but you finish that off with Stanford, SC, Utah, and Washington state. They're all at home. That's an advantage, but does that make that big of a, you know? Yeah, they'd be a, they'd be they could get destroyed on the road, but that doesn't mean they're going to win because they're they're at the Rose Bowl. So, I, I mean, another way to look at that, home or away, the tougher teams you have at home. Okay, so you do you lose closer, <laughs> and then. The easier teams are on are on the road, so that gives that provides the margin for you to lose. Yeah, that's a that's a really good way of look. That's a really really pessimistic really way to look at it. Look at it. But I, I mean, <laughs> but I don't, it's true. Right? I don't think it's unfair. I think the main point is if we don't see signs by the end of this year, essentially, if they don't finish out the max level that I think they will, which is four and eight, right? That's like my max prediction for this year. And they don't do it by Dorian Thompson-Robinson or Austin Burton or whoever um, really starting to get it at quarterback. Like, if that doesn't happen again the same way it happened last year with Wilton Spate, um, I'll be really hard-pressed to predict that they're even going to go to a bowl in 2020. It's just that much improvement, other teams regressing so much, going from... Because I think realistically, I would go... UCLA is probably going two and ten or three and nine this year. That would be my guess. Um, I don't know how you get from there with much the same schedule. I mean, the conference opponents are much the same, 
and just changing out two opponents in the non-conference, I don't know how you get from two and ten to eight and four. And we're saying eight and four now, which is even dumbing down the expectations that we were talking about a year ago, which is 2020 should be the year to make a real run. Um, to yeah. get from two and ten to that level, which is nine and three minimum, oh, I, uh, I search me. I have no idea how that happens. There's so much I just thought of right now. Uh, <laughs> so when you're talking about seeing improvement, you know, if they had gone seven and five last year, would you? Would everyone be expecting now eight and four or better? The fact that. The fact that they went three and nine, does that make six and six improvement? The fact that they go three and nine and then let's say four and eight, does that make 2020 six and six acceptable? No, and I, that's where I, I made this point on the board a few days ago or weeks ago. It's hard to know. Time, time ceases to have meaning during football season. Um, but uh, you, you, you change your prediction based on past events, but I don't think you change your expectation. Well, I'm not just talking about you and me and the fans. I'm talking seriously about, like, the way I've described the whole powers that be, the donors, everyone out there, their opinion. Well, and I think this should be true for them, too, because I think if you're, if you're constantly changing your expectations and your goals based on past events, then you're not giving a true assessment of the job. Um, because if you just gave somebody a blank slate and said, okay, by year three with this schedule... What do you think Chip Kelly should be doing at UCLA, a program where you can recruit even without doing a whole lot at a top 25 level? And if you're pretty good at recruiting, you can recruit at a top 15 level. And you said, okay, they're going to have this schedule in three years. Um, I can't picture a person who, unless they were a hardcore Eagles fan there at the end or a hardcore Niners fan there at the end, who would have guessed anything less than 10 and 2. Um, right. So... Yeah, I think in real time we're going to say, probably in our prediction next year, okay, UCLA, you know, with this schedule, maybe 5-7, and 6-6, six and six, but that should be damning in and of itself. Um, and for the powers that be, maybe it won't be, and I think this has been a problem with UCLA for time immemorial, which is constantly resetting expectations based on the mediocre performance of their coaches, basically to forestall firing them um, for underperformance, but... The, the fact of the matter is anything less than 10 and two, nine and three is going to be under performance because if you gave a, just again, that blank slate in November, 2017 to somebody and said in three years, where do you think this thing's going to be? Where should it be? It, I mean, it should be at a conference contending level. There's uh, no you reason keep saying why should, be. you keep saying should, and I'm with you 100%, but from, Every time I go out there and talk to people who are close to this, they don't think this way, Dave. I know, I, that's, but I'm saying, I that's think, a, I'm saying that's a that's a systemic problem with UCLA. Yeah. And here's here's my take on this season, really quickly. Dorian Thompson Robinson. Give me some examples where someone has started the season this badly, and just miraculously made huge steps forward and, and really turned it around, not incremental steps to where they could win a couple of games, but really turned it around to where, let's say UCLA could, and I'm being conservative, get to six or seven wins at this point. It just doesn't happen. I mean, if he could get better, it would be where he gets a bit better 
and they win five games. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, they're zero and two right now. (laughs) You've got, you know, you got 10 games left. That means they go 500 the rest of the way. That's, that's, that's a pretty good turnaround right there. Yeah. So I'm either, I think for this season, they have to dramatically change the offense for Dorian Thompson Robinson to fit him where he is right now. Or there's one of those stories, John Barnes, Austin Burton comes in and just massively overachieves. Those are the two scenarios to me. I agree. I think those are the only two, I mean, it's really the only two options at this point. I think if they ride a underperforming Dorian Thompson Robinson the rest of the year, there's a real chance, a real, real chance at 0-12. Um, what I would be really disappointed in Chip Kelly, and I think most fans would be too, if he just, Dorian Thompson Robinson is just a little bit better, or he goes up and down, like has a little bit better game and then a bad game, and there isn't really, you know, a real jump forward that they don't at least give Austin Burton a, a few series to see if he can ignite this offense. That would be, I don't want to use the word crime, but that would be an injustice in a way to yeah. the point where I would lose, I think most people should lose confidence in Chip Kelly, that he's not willing to even give Austin Burton a shot to see if he can do this. Yeah, and that, and I think it'll be interesting. I mean, the thing is, Oklahoma's, I mean, I would be shocked if they don't have that game well in hand by halftime. There should be an opportunity in this game. If there's not, I think that in and of itself is what's going on. Why are you? Doing it's that? really true. If they go up by you know three touchdowns at halftime, or where you just say, okay, this game's just out of reach. If if he just and and let's say Dorian Thompson Robinson isn't doing spectacularly horribly, but he's just not really. I mean, it's against Oklahoma. He's probably not doing well, but he's not turning the ball over three times. You got to give Austin Burton a shot. Just see, there are so many times. I mean, this is what sport is all about. There are guys who go into a game and they're gamers and they overachieve, and it's it makes for it's makes for great sports stories. That's what we've all. That's what it's all about. You know, that someone steps up and plays beyond what they indicated they could play. Yep. Yep. Well, have we done this to death? Do we want to do more? No, it's it, we, it's like six feet deep with a lot of dirt all over it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, uh, and, you know, I think you're, you're able, you're, uh, you're better able than I am to, um, look for the, the potential silver lining. Um, I'm having a hard time seeing it at this point. Yeah. I'm trying to be objective. I'm trying to balance it and not, and tune out the fan part of it all and yeah. just try to logically balance. And, and right. I think it's completely reasonable to think, everyone's confidence in this is completely has taken a shot. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think the fan base is reeling at this point. So it will be interesting. It will be interesting after this week. This week will not be interesting. What else are you doing this weekend, Dave? I'm going to watch the hell out of this thing. Um, probably watch, um, a lot of other football. And uh, that'll be my weekend, as it is pretty much every Saturday in the fall. 
So my wife is out of town. Cool. So I'm going to cheat on her. Hey, there you go. <laughs> and the way I cheat on my <laughs> wife is I cheat on her with food. Ah. I don't, like, she generally eats really well, and I eat well when I'm around her. And I mean, it's not like she's, you know, some kind of tyrant over food. But, you know, when she's gone, I, I can eat. I can eat whatever I want. So right now, today, I mean, all of you UCLA fans, I know we're trying to find little things that are going to make us happy <laughs> right now. I'm trying to think of what I could eat that's going to make – on Sunday, my son is taking me to Masa of Echo Park. It's there probably the best Chicago-style pizza in Los Angeles. Yeah. And he's been there, and he's been trying to get me to go there. Um. So that I cheat with food because food, food. Don't you think food is a thing? I think food. I think food if we is could a thing. all just eat whatever we wanted mm -hmm. and not get fat or filled up, or just not get fat, that would not, be like that would be really magical. Wouldn't life be fulfilling? Wouldn't it be great if we could all just have the metabolism of like twelve-year-olds? Because that's really what you're talking about. There's one other food suggestion I want everyone to try. It's called Bombay Frankie. It's uh, it's in um, it's in a gas station at the 405 in Santa Monica, and it literally is Indian burritos, like tikka masala burritos. Just amazing. You gotta go. It's one of those things that you'll have, and then you'll start then you'll start craving it. Okay. Okay. Very cool. So food, that's what I got to think. I and mean, that's, that's what I have to live for this weekend. Think about food. Yeah. All I right, everybody, go that's our advice to you for this weekend. Think about food. Don't think about <laughs> UCLA. Just think about food. Enjoy food. Food is good. Food keeps you alive. UCLA football does not. Do that. <laughs> that was a good day. All right. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. Uh, hopefully we will have a, um, you know, less... Uh, Moribund, maudlin, uh, apocalyptic Depressive podcast. Words that start with M. Yeah, in the future. But uh, for now, that's what you get. So we will talk to you again next time. See you all. <laughs>